on an anniversary, it's good to recount the story, right? That's, that's a good custom. Recount at least a little bit of the story. It's good to look around, to, to locate. Where are we? Where are we in light of where we've been? Uh, having, having walked the way that we've walked, that helps, helps us see how we are to walk ahead. God tends to be consistent in how he leads people. What has he been doing? Well, I'm going to go back a little further than nine years. Twelve years ago. Twelve years ago, on the second weekend of September, it was, in fact, September 11, I was uh, newly ordained as a priest and invited a bunch of college students that I'd gotten to know in my classes. and We gathered at the Presbyterian Church on Lake Lowell there, um, PCUSA Church there. They gave us the space for free. We had a dinner, and then we had a service of worship. And I had a handwritten sign that I put out, Nampa Collegiate Mission. That's what, it, that's what we called it, Nampa Collegiate Mission. And of the students that came that first night, very few ever came back. It was too weird, too too distant. Uh, and that was pretty much true for that whole year. Um, it, it was really interesting. Many was the Sunday evening that semester that I would walk from my house and I would wonder, is it just going to be me and five students? Uh, or would anyone come? Could I, could I bear the shame of holding a Eucharistic worship service with three people. <laughs> could, could that be? Um, numbers were sometimes low, but surprisingly, never less than 20. Well, one, thing, uh, one thing I learned in those early days was that there was no way to predict who would find themselves worshiping in our service, who, who would show up, and who would hear from the Lord in it in any part of it, in the liturgy in particular, um, who, could, who could experience the strangeness of it, it was strange to them, uh, and, and be able to hear the Lord in it. There was no predicting that. Um, who, or, or who could get past what was uncomfortable to hear the Spirit speaking. In the spring, that was the, the fall term. In the spring, we shifted over to a house where a couple of guys that were coming were living on the north side of Nampa, a red house. And during the next year and a half, we'd clear out the front room, carrying couches and stuff into back rooms. We'd clear out the front room, set up 40 chairs in that space, jammed in. Uh, some of you around that time were finding Holy Trinity in Boise and finding a home there, at meeting at the Courtyard Marriott on Eagle Road. At the end of the second year, we, we had a little stopover at the Dilly Center next to the Flying M. I think that was the worst space that we used. Uh, six months. And then in late winter, we landed at the American Legion. Uh, a few more joined us there. Um, maybe some of you. And it was the diversity of the group that started gathering at the American Legion that signaled this, this is no longer a college mission. Because there were some young people and some older people. 
And it was clear that the Lord was signaling the time had come that we would consecrate ourselves as a set aside as a church family. And so we did that nine years ago, uh, last weekend. And at that time, Nampins, this is a lot of you who had found Holy Trinity, came and joined with us in the morning and we became Christ the Redeemer, Anglican Church. And then about a year after that, we came here. American Legion to this space. We've been here eight years in this gym, sweating, sometimes cold. So over those nine years, the same insight of those earliest days has just held true. And you've seen it too. There is no predicting who or why anyone finds a home with this church family. And I, I've always been very convinced, and it just uh, becomes more and more apparent, that God himself is the one who is intimately involved in opening a heart to a church family. So if you found a place here, it's because he opened your heart here. Uh, otherwise, he steers people away. He does. He steers people away because they're needed elsewhere. They're needed in other church families. And that is good. That is good. So happy anniversary to us. Um, you can say happy anniversary to me. <laughs> Thank you. How fitting that the Lord guides us today to, as we're walking through 2 Corinthians, to talk about finances. Isn't that appropriate? Awkward, unpleasant conversations. Finances. It's just fitting uh, to... to as we have a family conversation, finances and family conversation, hand in glove. Well, after a break of several weeks from 2 Corinthians, we're coming back to it in chapter 8. This letter that was reestablishing love and goodwill between Paul and the churches of Corinth, that uh, they had become estranged from one another. They had uh, some hostility had developed. And so he brings them throughout the letter again and again to the simple gospel and how a people lives according to the simple gospel. And so that, that has to include a discussion of money because if the gospel, simple as it is, if the gospel doesn't touch your values and your values are expressed by your expenditures, then it hasn't much touched you. The gospel hasn't touched your values. It hasn't much touched you. Jesus leaves no room for doubt on this. We heard in the gospel, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and serve wealth. And then there's that young man, earnest young man, seemingly to follow Jesus, earnest to obey God's commands. He came running to him. And Jesus said, you'll have to leave behind your riches because they stand between you and, and following me. Your riches are more precious to you than eternal life. He said that to him through a question or through a command. Go, go, just give it away. Come follow me. I'll give you everything. Eternal riches. And he couldn't. He couldn't. So if being saved by God 
And knowing him through Christ hasn't changed what you value. You haven't really known God. Now this was put to a practical test for the, the, those Christians of Corinth. Because uh, we gather from some lines in 1 Corinthians and then this letter here that before the false teachers had come to Corinth and they poisoned some of the churches towards Paul and the gospel, there'd been a plan. Uh, it'd been a plan of all the Greek churches as Paul had planted them. And this plan was to get a collection together for Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. God had foretold through a prophecy that there would be a famine. And that famine did indeed come in the time of Claudius. Paul saw in that, this is coming. This is an opportunity. This will be an opportunity for the new Gentile churches to show the Jewish Christians that these Gentiles loved and served the same Lord Jesus, that they are indeed part of one in the same family, this sharing, this would be a way to encourage all of them in, this, in, in an understanding of identity, an identity that, that would transcend their Jewish ethnicity, an identity that would transcend their local ethnic identity in Greece or Asia Minor. So this would be a startling testimony of changed values. There's a long ago a proverb about pagans, Greeks in particular, that the, the Greek pagans gave their bodies to anybody and their money to nobody. But when they became Christians, their values flipped and they shocked their society by giving their bodies to nobody and their money to everybody. That's a powerful testimony. Let that one sink in. Here then is an indicator. This will be an indicator for the Corinthian Christians. Paul is considering. After a time of abandoning the way of Jesus and deciding that, that they would determine the way of Jesus on their own. They'd decide what it was. They'd decide if their room should be clean or not. They'd decide if their drawer should be organized or not. You got it. Here would be an act that would reaffirm their identity as made new in Christ, new creations, the old passed away, the new come. This would be a way to show the true family resemblance. This is... Yes, this really is who we are. We had wandered. We are part of the family. And so Paul indicates the family value in verse 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is, this is our family. This is a core family value. Part of God's character. Part of who he is. It's displayed in Jesus Christ and shows that he is lavish in giving. So the word grace always conveys the idea of gift. Because grace excludes reward or payment. 
When we see grace, we have to have gift coming with it in our, in our thinking. For, for you know the empowering gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. How did that gift come? Though he was rich, in very nature God, with all majesty, glory, dominion, power, worship, he was rich. Yet for our sake, he set aside the glory and majesty. He set aside the praise and the power by accepting limitations, human limitations, weaknesses, the vulnerabilities of human nature. He humbled himself. He became poor. So that by this voluntary adoption of poverty, he became poor. So that by his poverty, by his accepting this poverty, he might draw us after him into glory, giving us poor ones eternal riches. By his poverty, we have become rich. God did this. He did this. And because he did it, we know it's what he's like. God is like this. It's his character. It's the character of the Father. It's the character of the Son. It's the character of the Spirit. To sacrifice. To take on trouble. To suffer in order to give. He will struggle in order to give. And let's remember who he gave to. Human beings who wished and wish him dead. Human beings who above all want to have things our own way. So while, while our hearts were ready to bow down to wood and stone and metal and ready to bow down to iPhones and flickering images and the most comfortable beds, and to bow down to 30-second experiences, bow to momentary admiration of wicked people, he somehow thinks we ought to be loved. Our Father and our King has given life, given every good gift to people who would spit in his face. That's his character. Then that is the character he gives to his family. This is, this is the family resemblance. So if we have been adopted into his family, and he's given his spirit to make us new creations and to remake us into the image of his son, which that's, he says that's what he's doing, then his generous heart is part of the renovation. This way that he is comes into us and remakes that in us. The generous heart becomes a generous heart in us. So who God is then is the ground for Paul's appeal. Verse 8. I urge this graciousness not as a command, but to show that your love also is genuine. 
Just like the earnestness of the poorer Macedonian Christians to have this. He says, I, I urge this. This will be the act to exhibit the way of Christ that he's talking about in verse 9. This gift will show the family resemblance. So he's saying that with hearts conformed to the heart of God, it's a foregone conclusion that there will be a ready desire of, in God's people to give. It's an interesting assumption. He just he sets it out. I, I assume you will be ready to give because you have God's heart. That's what happens. Verse 10, everything belongs to him. And so if his spirit is moving, his people will want to give. Before getting practical, the apostle sets down two connected principles. Which I, I think of these principles as the sacramental principles of giving. Sacramental principles of giving. And what I mean by that is... Uh, they, there's something that is invisible that has to show itself visibly. So these principles, they'll help God's people wherever they are, whenever they are, through time, across cultures, they're principles. Verses 11 and 12. The desire to give, which is, it's a spiritual desire, has to pass through what is material. It's invisible. The invisible has to enter the visible through actual things. Money, in this case. Verse 11, he advises, he says that their readiness in desiring to give might be matched by them actually doing it. This, this pledges, he's saying pledges and positive thinking, warm feelings, don't feed children. Actual money given. It's the tangible sign, the outward visible sign of their desire to love and serve. This is what James indicates in his teaching. Very familiar. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go with peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things necessary for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, empty. So a sacramental principle is that we show what we truly believe. We show what we truly love by our actions. Financial giving shows our values. It has that function in human life. What we do with our finances shows our values. The second sacramental principle is that the, the thing visible, the thing expressing the values, it has actually to be in your hand in order to give it. You can't give what you don't have. And you, you, you can't squeeze grape juice from a tomato. You, you can't make something out of nothing. Verse 12, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, that readiness, whatever is there, is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul, he's, he goes on here to explain, there's an ebb and a flow to where resources are, where 
where the stuff is. So just like there are seasons of plenty and seasons of scarcity, harvest seasons, hungry seasons, the distribution of material moves around. The distribution of material blessings, it moves around. It, it, that's God's economy. He's made it that way. He's designed it that way. We can just look out at the world to see that is his design. That's part of his plan. So that in his economy, sharing should flow from where there's abundance to where there's scarcity. And, uh, the result is that everyone is taken care of. This is what he did with the manna in the desert. Paul quotes, he who gathered much had nothing over, and he who gathered little had no lack. This was God's economy. Times and seasons change in our own lives. You know this. Uh, our, the seasons and times of our family, they change. The times and seasons of our local community, Nampa, the Treasure Valley, housing prices. Think about this. That these are fluctuations uh, that we are in. And so Christians should pay attention when we have abundance. When you have abundance, we ought to be more generous. This is part of his plan. Paul tells them, verse 14, your abundance at the present time should supply their want in Jerusalem so that their abundance at another time or their abundance in another way, may supply your want. Those are some framing principles. God is a lavish giver, and being his family, we ought to resemble him. We ought to resemble our God. Second, real faith has to show itself in real action. And thirdly, you can only give what you have, not what you don't have. Helpful principles. In, in this broad picture, I think it's important to internalize that one of the ways Christians have always shown the character of God to a puzzled world, looking at these strange people, is the way that we give. That is a mystery to the world. It's a puzzle. The way we give to our own household, church, family, and to the vulnerable who may have nothing to do with us, no family connection at all, not part of our tribe, that is strange to the world. Why would you give in a way that cannot benefit you? Next week, we will get practical, because that's how the scripture takes us. We'll see a few more specific principles. As Paul, he moves from these, this general principle to consider individuals and households. And I'll also talk about practically household giving. Now, uncomfortably, over the last nine years, I have to admit this has been a shortcoming of mine, a, a failure of mine. Um, recently, I've been working on grant requests to our diocese. Uh, uh, churches can ask for funds to help them. Financial gaps. Uh, so working on these, I discovered a, a strange, bemusing fact that has confronted me. If we take into account the several missions that we have, 
because um, we all share one budget. We are one of the five largest churches in our diocese. That's surprising. Our budget is in the bottom half with churches a, a third our size. Got the same sort of budget. There are some obvious reasons for this that have nothing to do with faithlessness. Uh, they have more to do with the stages that we've passed through as a congregation. Have a lot to do with the way that my role has changed over the years. I, you, you may not know this. I didn't take any sort of salary for the first five years. Because um, I was bivocational. That sowed some things into our practice. Uh, and, but a big, a big failing is that I have not provided adequate discipleship in this area. Particularly as my role has changed and we've changed. Um, a big reason is that I have this deep-seated fear of being manipulative. Um, I know a, a lot of us have come out of a church culture, church cultures, where there was a sense of manipulation, whether through music or through uh, manipulative preaching. And so uh, I'm sensitive to that, overly sensitive, <laughs> so that I have not been careful uh, to guide us. I've also seen something. I, I come from Tennessee, and I've noticed something about the West. People in the West do not like to be told what they ought to do. Uh, <laughs> so that added to my sense, uh, there are landmines everywhere on this topic. So it's easier to just uh, say little or only talk in broad generalizations, talk in theoretical terms. I'm very comfortable there. I have not done well, and I have failed you in this very important area. And I think my failure in this is hindering us as particularly at this time as we're looking to establish more outposts of the kingdom. Like we know God's marching orders to us. Uh, and like a bad parent, I haven't been faithful to enable us to do that well. So looking towards... Next week's passage. There's a little preparation that I want to ask you to do. If you decide to skip next week, please just do this anyway. Um, I encourage you to do it because it is for your good. It's for you. It has ramifications for us as a household, but it's principally for you. Uh, inside the bulletin, the bulletin is this uh, paper that's on the entryway. Inside there, you will find a little table given to me by an Australian friend. And I just want to ask you to come next week with knowledge of the first three boxes. Because we're going to follow what God gives us in his word and see uh, if we can be faithful according to what he teaches. But this knowledge, having those three boxes, just in your mind, uh, if you feel embarrassed about filling it out and having it, you don't want anyone to see it. Just know what those boxes are for your household. And then we will be...
considering, based on how God guides and teaches us, what, what is it, what will it be to have a generous heart? Um, what will it be for you, according to these principles that we've heard, and the, the practical counsel he gives us? How can we live the family resemblance? How can we live the heart of God tangibly? God cares about our stewardship of what's his. And he wants us. He wants us to feel freedom from fear. Freedom that comes by trusting him. Bringing our finances into alignment with his kingdom values. He wants us to feel that freedom. And he wants us to have hearts that are giving. That reflect his heart. That are generous. Um, it is an exciting time to be Christ the Redeemer, Anglican Church in Nampa, Idaho. There, as, as these missions that he's given to us uh, are, are before our eyes, it, it's been a wonder for me just to watch the, them come together, take shape by his initiative, working through laity. It should be like that. That, that is good. Um, he's at work in us. We need to pay attention to what he's doing. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, sometimes overwhelmed. Always delighted when we see that you are willing to work through us when we see that it pleases you to give us more knowledge of you, to draw us close to you, give us fellowship in the Holy Spirit with you and with one another, we marvel at these things. We, I know many of us here, Lord, we have sometimes thought that that had passed us by. So thank you for giving us yourself and giving us one another. Will you, by your gracious gift, enable us to experience the riches of glory that you have for us in this season? In Jesus' name.